Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. <clears throat> this is Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Fettles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today. And thank you for taking time to be with us. A couple of weeks ago, we had <clears throat> on the show Michael Render, who's the president of RVA... LCC, which is a research firm that's done a lot of work on behalf of the Fiber to the Home Council. Now, when Michael was here, he discussed his most uh, recent report in September to the um, Fiber to the Home Council at their annual conference, and looking at the last decade and looking at how far uh, fiber technology um, has come and also how far the uh, Fiber to the Home Council has come in the last decade. And so you can listen to his interview in the archives. Today, we have the new president of the Fiber to the Home Council, Heather Burnett Gole, and she's going to give us a snapshot of how things look or may look going forward. So, Heather, first, welcome to the show, and thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Craig. It's an honor to be here. And also, congratulations on your new role as president, and uh, good luck as you take the reins in what I'm sure is a pretty exciting time for the industry and for the council. It is. It is, um, you know, coming off of um, uh, the disbursements from the um, um, stimulus funds that brought so much money to um, rural communities for build-out of fiber, seeing what's going on with Google in Kansas City, um, looking and seeing what Chattanooga is doing, you know every every area that's involved in fiber to the home um every one of our market subsets seems to be percolating along and really um investing mhm well that's definitely a plus and a little later on we'll talk uh, some about that let's start with um i'm <clears throat> i'm sure a lot of folks that will be coming in today to in the audience are familiar with the council at least in a general sense but Give give us a, an overview of you know what's the the mission of the organization, who's involved, that kind of thing. To so give us a picture of what it is that you guys do. Okay, um, I think as Mike might have mentioned to you, we've been around for ten years. Just had our tenth anniversary at in. Um, we celebrated in Orlando. Uh, we represent the equipment vendors, service providers, and consultants who support them, who um, deploy fiber to the home. Not fiber to anywhere else, but all the way to the house um, in order to bring the the most advanced networks to consumers. Um, We have a good mix of um, service providers. We represent any service provider who will uh, deploy fiber to the home so that we have rural companies, um, incumbents. um, We have um, some municipal air, um, municipal networks, and we have um, some utilities, obviously, that have deployed fiber to the home. Um, so the whole goal is to educate, promote, and advocate policies and practices that will increase fiber to the home for our country, for the world's consumers, really. Right. So you've got uh, that that whole mix of folks that would would constitute the, I guess, ecosystem, which is kind of a Current phrase of choice or word of choice here to describe things all the all the component pieces that go from the back end manufacturing all the way to getting it on your doorstep correct we have everybody from the glass manufacturers um to the engineers um you know to the actual service provider that's that's using the fiber to the home technology to better serve their customers Mm-hmm. Are there any folks that you um, that you don't have that are part that you want to like that you're doing like an outreach to to kind of include that may not have been members in the past? Um, I think you know we should. Uh, I should be clear that you know the big guys aren't members. I mean, obviously they support some of our activities, um, but our focus is on you know the the smaller service providers. Um, you know we might. Con- who knows what will happen in our strategy session that we're taking with our 
our our biggest members next week, our plat what we call our platinum members. Um, but we have tended to focus on uh, those companies that are actually driving the investment. Um, and also to stay true to the fiber to the home concept, we have not um, gone looking for companies that were just doing fiber to the node or or um, fiber to the curb, um, mainly because we think to really be delivering uh, the kind of capacity that consumers are going to need and demand, you really do need to go all the way to the house or apartment, all the way to the building. Mm-hmm. Now, are there... Um public sector entities that are a part as well, because I know that there are providers that are actual communities, whether they're co-ops or government-owned networks or some variation of that, some sort of um, Yes, as I said, we do have um, some municipals. Um, I believe that um, Chattanooga, and I know, please forgive my newness, I know they go by something else, um, e- EPB. Oh, maybe. EPB, right, right, yeah, right. So I, they are a member. Um, and so it's it's we do have a good we have a good cross section. Mm-hmm. So as I said, we don't we don't discriminate against any kind of provider. We're just looking for companies that will do it, will mm-hmm. build. So is I know that one of the roles is uh, education. You know, I looked at the um, you know the program for the the conferences and so forth. Uh, do you do a lot of um, interface with the, uh, the the public, the legislative bodies? Because um, I know associations have different roles. If I look at the, the the landscape in Washington, some are more advocacy for the industry. Some are you know strictly about membership development. Where do you guys fit into that picture? I- we have um, we have tended to work more with our member companies on helping them figure out how to deploy fiber to the home. Um, we do have a, a strong uh, government relations committee, and um, we have a very uh, good DC council who has represented the interest of fiber to the home um, exceedingly well through the broadband, um, the national broadband plan um, deployment, and then. Um, uh, as we've moved through the various phases of that and the uh, proceedings that have fallen on that. And we do get involved in legislative activity um, where we can make a difference. Um, you know, we we sort of weigh our decision on how active uh, to be in the public policy arena based on what, uni- you know, what do we bring to the table that's unique and, and what do our members need that we can give them that they might not be getting somewhere else. And we will part partner with um with other associations um and with companies um to uh pursue those goals which will you know help speed fiber to the home. Mm-hmm. So um when when we were talking before the show started you had mentioned I don't want to put you a little, I'm going to put you on the spot here just a little maybe uh you had mentioned that one of the the steps in in the selection process was they asked all the candidates uh, for president to kind of picture what the association would look like in in two years, and always trying to give our listeners a sort of some view of the future as well as what's going on in the present. Where, in your mind, do you see? Um, well, first the industry. I guess you know, like you're you're coming in, you know, new to this particular role, but you've been in the industry for a while. Right. Where do you see the industry in another? year or so, and then where do you see the council within that realm? So I think you're going to see a tremendous um, boost to the industry um, as the um, new networks get rolled online. Um, You're going to, you have, I mean, think about the confluence of things that are going on now. You have the networks that were funded through uh, the stimulus plan being built, and uh, incidentally, Fiber to the Home providers I received about two-thirds of the RUS money out of that for last-mile construction. So you're going to see that happen. You're going to see Google's Kansas City project coming up uh, probably in you know next 18 months. Uh, you're going to see Chattanooga continuing its deployment. Um, so you're going to have this confluence. Oh, and I, I'm so silly to forget this, the whole GIG-U rollout where they're building the 
mm-hmm. new gig network to connect all the major research universities and and using that as a platform deployment in those communities. So all of a sudden you have this wonderful confluence of events that are going to create what I think will be a tremendous de- demand from consumers that don't live in those communities. Um, they're going to see what's cap- what it what it, fiber the home brings and its capabilities, and they're going to start saying, "Why not us?" Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'll go, f- and especially as we see um, the growth, tremendous growth in data and video needs. Um, you know, I think um, I was reading the other day. I think it's Cisco says that uh, global IP traffic will grow four uh, four times, um, triple in the next four years. Mm-hmm. And that video will be 90% of that traffic. So all of a sudden the needs for bandwidth is just going to explode. I mean, I know everyone keeps saying it can't get, you know, how much faster can it explode? But so you, so you have the confluence of communities getting it. You have the confluence of there being more need for bandwidth. And then um, you'll have those, you'll have people demanding it from their service providers. Um, so I, in the next two years, I think, you know, right now we have about 750 communities deploying fiber to the home um, um, it, across the U.S. There's um, obviously, we have North America, so there's always some in Mexico, obviously some in Mexico and Canada as well, some very robust communities. Um, so um, it, I think that will just give us an, a wonderful opportunity for expansion. Mm-hmm. Um where do I see Fiber the Home Council? Um, we're going to continue to deliver and expand on our value proposition for our members. Um, some of the things we've been doing, which I think uh, will afford us um, even greater outreach, our, our webinar series. This is something um, we've done, too, since I've been on board, which was last Monday. Um, we did one. <laughs> well, I know. Uh, fortunately, I wasn't, I wasn't giving them, thank, thank heavens. Um uh, we did one on the changes coming to universal service. Obviously, that impacts um, our small, our small, our rural telcos and smaller telcos. And then um, we did one with Blair Levin on the on the gig you rollout and his sort of vision of why we need fiber to the home. Uh, so I think we'll be able to use those webinars to um, even get more information out to the public at large, not just our membership. Um, one of the things I would like, I talked to uh, in my interview, um, and it's based on a program we used here in Virginia, it's the creation of an online toolkit which would help communities that are considering deployment walk through the process um, from, gosh, we'd like to have this, to how do we actually implement it. And it includes all the steps in the process, including you know, potential funding, how you can uh, decrease capital and operating costs if you're going to do a public-private partnership, Um, you know, how you assess your demand, you know, what is your demand. Um, So I would like to be able to uh, have something out there which would really be, you know, a great help for um, communities that are um, just contemplating this for the first time. So it would be a planning tool then? Be a planning tool. But then the webinars themselves will continue um, with information that's valuable to our membership from mm-hmm. all kinds of uh, aspects, technical and um, and public policy so and marketing. I think there's a real need for us to also help our service providers uh, figure out how they're going to maximize their revenue from this investment. Um, you know, you have to be a little creative in that, Um in, and in what offerings, uh, what you provide your consumers. So when do you think this might be completed? Mm. This is my ongoing effort for the next two years. <laughs> not Well, maybe completed is not the word. But yes, I don't think you... anything's ever completed, right? Right. But but when do you think people might be able to get the first look at uh, at this and be able to do something with it? Oh, I would hope within six to nine months. You mean the toolkit? Right, right. Yes, I would hope within six to nine months, but of course, that all depends on, in some ways, on resources and what comes out of our um, platinum member strategy session next week too. It may not, right. they may decide that's not something they want. Yeah, true, true. So tell me a little bit about the, the the planning session. I gather 
it's a big strategy powwow that what is it the board of the council was coming together it it's not just the board um it's our platinum oh, members right it's our platinum right. members um uh we will be gathering in Dallas um to um you know ask ourselves all those important questions are we doing the right things what else should we be doing what should we stop doing um what are our core competencies um what would you like you know where do you think our focus should be uh, I think it's, you know, as a new person in my position, as the new president, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better opportunity um, to really get a sense of what what the association wants to do, what the council wants to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it'll be a pretty exciting kind of high-level, uh, you know, get-together to kind of really hammer out some, some solid plans to move things forward. It is. I mean, I think... Listen, we've we've had a good brand. We have a great brand, in fact. And the council has grown tremendously over the last ten years. I think we just feel like maybe it's time to stop and take step, you know, take stock and and see where we go for the next ten years. It may right. be just improving on what we have already. But you know, every entity should do regular strategic planning. Um, when I was in a corporation, we did it every year. You know, right before you did your budgeting or whatever, because that sort of drove then what how your what your tactical um operational things were. Well, I'm definitely a big fan of planning at all stages and particularly um helping communities because one of the things I have found is that um there is within many communities a general understanding of what broadband can do. I mean, if I look at uh, 2005, which is kind of when I jumped in, and I was focused then mainly on wireless. Municipal wireless was all the rage. And um, people went through a phase of, you know, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do this? And that went on for about a year. And then there came a transition point where people, you know, they they wanted to stop hearing folks tell them why they need to do it because they finally got that message. But then it was all about how do we get it done? You right. know, how do we move these things forward? So I think a toolkit that you're like the one you're describing should be immensely uh, valuable, just because there is not the knowledge of the mechanics of putting these things together in uh, a lot of these situations. Either when there is the um, municipal government itself alone doing it, or even in partnership if the partners are smaller providers, you basically have you know the the smaller provider will probably you know obviously have more business sense but still they're they're a smaller regional player so having this kind of outside objective resource can be very valuable it is and and as i said um i i i am giving full credit to uh virginia i did not create this out of thin air i was fortunate to serve on a broadband uh was called the broadband roundtable uh for virginia and um this was one of the outcomes from that experience, and what we found is, and, and you're right, whether if it was a service provider, an incumbent, or just the community itself, um, often didn't have the resources at hand um, to do the kind of demand assessment and to even think creatively outside the box. Like, um, and, and Blair Levin talked about this on, on his webinar yesterday as well. There are many ways that communities can help private entities buy down the cost of entry, um, you know, sharing conduit, um, you know, those kind of issues where they can make the operating expenses less, the cap- initial capital expenses, um, ease in permitting, um, you know, all the kinds of things that, that add to a cost and delay construction. Um, you know, if you're a community looking to bring in a private service provider, whether it's an incumbent or not, you should be thinking about if you really want to deploy broadband quickly, you should be thinking about all the resources at your hand that, that you have access to um, that you can help. And then, and then the other thing is, is on the funding side. You know, you can get, you can get, or you, you know, I'm not holding myself out as an expert right now, but it used to be you could get USF money, USF money for some sort of educational, for some educational institutions, for rural health care. So perhaps you um, get some funding for those things, which then give you more money to spend on actually getting that fiber to your to your consumer, residential consumers' homes. Um, so there's all of those things that, that 
can be tied up into a box, broadband in a box, um, you know, to help you deploy faster. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting you bring up this this issue of um, accelerating the deployment because um, uh, the Google's point person who's driving their broadband, their their community broadband effort, uh, spoke at a conference uh, a couple of months ago and said that was one of the big criteria when they were looking at cities to partner with. They had 1,100 to choose from, and they looked at, well, who is going to be able to help us streamline the process? Because in their mind, um, there are many steps along the way that bog down the process. And so right. the key is to figure out what they are and how do you how do you get rid of them. So wh- from your perspective, you know, what are some of those things that slow down a project uh and then how do you overcome those particular challenges? Oof. Um well, I would say, you know, just getting the the capital is one of them right that we've had a an issue with right now. Mhm. Financing um that's that's one that's sort of outside of a a community's control unless um, they want to pay for it, and that's not always ideal. Um, permitting um, is another one. Um, I'm just I'm thinking here. Well, um, the getting, permitting is, is key. I, I would agree. I mean, the know. permitting and um, you know, if any. Uh, co- you know, you need any rights away? Um, you know, what kind of construction do you need? Are there, um, can you go, are there alternatives? You know, is there conduit already in place that you can use? I mean, these are all things that, that can be time-creating. Because mm-hmm. I know the, uh, the even with the stimulus program, one of the big hurdles was the environmental study. You know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't even an issue of you know, can we get the well? Obviously, the money had been had come through, but then by virtue of how it had come through, there were all these these hurdles. You know, there were these studies and these processes and paperwork, and uh, I think a lot of folks, you know, without harming the the, the public good, at the same time want to try to figure out well, how can we make some of this process a lot easier um, to to deal with? And some of those are very state. Specific, um, right? As you're aware, there are certain states that have much more onerous environmental impact requirements, um, particularly if you're putting in facilities, um, and, which is unfortunate. Unfortunate. So those states would have. I mean, it's a state level requirement. So, you know, I can't. I can't solve those right now. <laughs> well, that's that's a little you know beyond the pale in some respects. I mean, it's sort of a, beyond my uh, um, <laughs> operating experience here. Right. I mean, it's that, I think that from a, um, <clears throat> and that may be one of the issues that, uh, you know, the group takes into account uh, next week, you know, is how it might be in some way able to maybe partner with other organizations that can help streamline the process. I know that uh, NATOA is a, an example of an organization that does a lot of work trying to, you know, um, deal with right-of-way issues, mm-hmm. you know, because you need them, but at the same time they can't become such a burden that they prohibit the advancement of broadband as well. And, you know, maybe that kind of that partnership between um, associations that kind of identify and then figure out, well, then how do we collectively attack these issues, you know, might be something of uh, of, of merit for next week. That's true. Just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking on the fly. So how helpful, you know, you talked earlier about the, the stimulus, and it was definitely has helped the broadband business and that, that you folks got a, well, the, the, the council members, right. Um, have, have folks started to translate all of that into actual action? I know there was, like I said, you know, we talked about that, that hiccup there in the system when people had to deal with regulation and so forth. But are these projects now moving forward? Have they gotten past all of their preliminary bureaucratic issues to move these things forward? I I believe so. Um, particularly, um, I would expect that the um, 
you know, more on the rust side, which is where most of the fiber to the home providers um, um, would be, um, not on, the, not necessarily on the B top side or the Department of Commerce side. Um, you know, they're pretty used to building networks, so um, you know, regardless of what the technology is. So I, I don't don't anticipate that we'll see the same kind of. Um, you know, they're more established companies. Um, you know, some of the B-top providers that got funded were relatively new entities. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might have been overwhelmed by the requirements, whereas my anticipation is, and, you know, um, you know, just looking at the kind of companies that got the rest funding is they probably are more used to dealing with this, this kind of, um, is- these kind of issues. Mm-hmm. So... Now the the stimulus represents um, <clears throat> one government response, which is basically right. find money and, and put it to the put it to the task. And then there have been recent announcements of additional funds. RUS just had an announcement a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago where they've added to the to the pot. Are there policy changes or improvements that could facilitate an expansion of the broadband deployment effort? Do you think? You know, it's hard to say. Um, it's yet to be seen what the impact of these new FCC universal service funding changes will be. The Connect, what is it called? Connect America Fund. Fund, yeah, the Connect America Fund. Um, whether that will be, um, um, you know, very, whether it will be um, helpful or whether it will be proved to be, um, you know, just a, a decrease in funding, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I think I think that we're waiting on that one. Um uh so you know obviously it would be great to have even more funds available from Russ but from RUS um but given the economic realities right now um you know it's unlikely. Mhm. So does that mean then that do you expect that um hopefully with more Companies such as Google becoming involved. I mean, Google is kind of a, a unique duck in terms of how they have approached this thing. But you know, I got to believe there's more than one Google out there. You know, more than one company with capacity that might look at this and say, you know, we got to jump in this as well. Well, I think it's a it's a combination of of things. There, you know, you don't have to have the funding capacity of Google. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't been in the job long enough to be able to talk authoritatively about the economics, but I know that they are coming, making, it's becoming much more um, reasonable. It's, you can't say that fiber to the home is expensive anymore. Um, there have been advances in the deployment that have made it a uh, much more competitive offering. And then when you, in terms of deployment, and then when you put the revenue capabilities on top of that, um, you know the economies have really changed, so it may be that that in and of itself will drive more private investment. Plus, the demand, as I said at the beginning, is going. I think is going to explode. Mm-hmm. Now, you also, I think, have a um, a situation that as it becomes more affordable, and you don't necessarily need someone with Google's muscle. At the same time, businesses getting business involved in a similar fashion may still make sense. Like for example, Corning uh, in uh, three three counties in upstate New York decided to invest 12 million in the network for those three counties. And part of it is because they're they're headquartered there, and a lot of their company operations will benefit by by having the network. So again, I look at that and I say, well, there's got to be more companies like that, you know, that aren't necessarily technology companies in the Google sense. They're not necessarily providers, but at the same time, there can be a business case made or that they can make a business case, say, you know, this makes sense for us. Right. No, and I totally, I I think you're right. I think that will happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Because one one of the things you know, you know I'm, I'm and and you know just to go back, that's sort of the premise of the of the gig you thing that right. it won't be the companies, but it'll be the research universities, and they'll be building out um, in their communities. 
And, you know, I think it also speaks to, you know, if we throw the net wider, um, you know, I, I did a did a presentation in, in Missouri where I said, you know, we need to, everybody needs to step out of the box and look at different ways, different potential partners, different potential funding models. Uh, there's no reason to always look at things in the same, you know, four walls that we typically see. You know, I think especially when we look at some of the policy decisions that come out of, of Washington. But I think that, you know, you get a bunch of creative people around the room, both in government and in nonprofits and in the private sector, sort of like, you know, that your your membership represents, I think you can start or or collectively folks can start thinking of new ways to tackle these uh the, these issues. I I agree. There has to be um you know, we're not going to have our government our government is not going to pay for this. Um right. private industry in one form or another is going to have to do, make the investment case and then follow through on the investment. But then again, that's all with the demand um stimulation which i think will come um that will also drive some of that investment in other words you won't as a service provider you'll probably be in a situation where you can't afford not to invest mm-hmm. because if you don't the neighboring um somebody to your east or west may decide to invest for you right um, especially as your consumers demand it so i think um you know i think that will drive a lot of this investment as well right and I will assume that as people start hearing about the successes of places such as Santa Monica, California, and, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, you know, just regular everyday communities, you know, you sort of take it out of the spotlight of the Google thing, but you look at these other communities and how they've approached it, that their successes will inspire other communities to want to follow suit. Exactly. It's going to be a snowball effect. It really is. Right. Um, and, and it isn't and it isn't just in this country. I mean, that's one thing I wanted to there is sort of there's an international phenomenon with um you know, fiber to the home is not just being deployed here. Um it may follow a different model mm-hmm. um you know um in in different countries, but in fact there will be a ground I, I this will add to the whole groundswell um as other nations um, actively deploy fiber to the home. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about economic development, um, and one of the things we we talk about a lot is, you know, you don't have to be in New York City to reach the world market anymore, or even mm-hmm. in Washington. You know, you can be um, down in Abington, Virginia. Um, if you have access uh, to fiber to the home and that kind of, and then to the World Wide Web, you can live in any wonderful place you want, um, and be successful with your business. And, um, you know, that's the other driver for this is is the need for, especially when you look at some of the areas that have been hardest hit by by the recession, um, these communities want ways to employ their folks and offer employment options for their young people so they stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that can only happen um, by having the kind of... Um, uh, broadband capabilities that fiber to the home can bring. Right, and I see. Um, you know, we talked, uh, or you mentioned earlier, that government's role may not continue to be on the financial side or financing side. But I know, like for example, there's a movement in Congress to uh, pass a law that basically says for every government project that involves transportation you know, major construction, that kind of thing, that conduit gets laid at the same time because you don't really yes. add to the cost of the project, but you advance the the core infrastructure fairly quickly if all of a sudden you start piggybacking on top of other um, projects. I, and to me, I sort of see that as, you know, a, a way the government can be part of that creative solution. Correct. You know? I agree with you completely. I mean, it used to be... Um, I think you you could have access to right of way along federal highways, but you yourself would have to go and do the trenching and um you know the um getting in the conduit. How wonderful it was already there mhm so let's uh, move to another <clears throat> topic near and dear to my heart, which is bridging this gap <clears throat> between middle mile and last mile because a lot of 
broad, uh, broadband stimulus money went out to middle mile projects, and a fair amount went out to last mile projects, but not necessarily in the same place. So that you have projects that are happening without their component part. In other words, you know, you're building, or not you, but you know, they're they're, they're building. Uh, you know, two, three hundred miles of fiber in Virginia or Missouri or where have you, and which is good. You know, we t- we we connect the the anchor institutions and so forth. But then, where where does all the last mile come in? Because if the argument against doing um, middle mile buildouts was the capex expense, um, I would think that providers, private sector companies, are going to still have the same resistance doing last mile projects because they're going to say, well, you know, where, where do we get our money back from that? Even though it's less money, we still have to make money back. So my question is, um, how do you see us bringing together last mile projects where there is, you know, all this growth of, of middle mile projects or the reverse? You know, you've got people that have money for last mile projects, but there's got to be some significant backhaul, especially, you know, given, you know, the vision that you have that says, okay, well, our demand is going to quadruple, it's going to go through the roof, um, that last mile project then is going to need more is going to need more backhaul. How do we bridge these two? Because it seems like we're we're building in tandem, but not necessarily together. Well, that is a big question. Um, you know, I'm trying to visualize all this in my head. Um, <laughs> you know, sort of like the Alaska Bridge to Nowhere, right? Right. If you if you build if you build fiber to the home in a community that's not um, linked, you're in big trouble um, because you'll only be talk be able to talk quickly and share data quickly amongst each other, not with any kind of relevant connectivity to the rest of the world. Exactly, exactly. That's that's the danger I see. It is, and um, you know, I I would hope and and haven't looked at this, but you're you know somehow. You're, somehow you're hopeful that when they did these awards, which probably is just way too optimistic on my part, mm-hmm. that there was some sort of effort to connect um, middle mile with 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 last mile. But uh, you're probably undoubtedly right. So that will be a challenge if we do have, um, you know, the actual long haul networks uh, that take you into the internet are not close or. Um, connected with the fiber fiber to the home providers but i would think i mean i'm speaking totally off the top of my head here but i would think that a fiber to the home provider one of my service providers would would think about how they were going to be connected to the greater you know to the last to the long haul fiber mm-hmm. um as part of their assess demand assessment and feasibility studies it just wouldn't you know like one of our um, you know, we throughout Virginia we have a rather and I'm sorry to speak about Virginia. That's what I know best at this point. So I didn't want any of my members to think that I'm um, dissing them in any way. Um, uh, no but I think everybody understands. Um, throughout Virginia, we do have um, we have a middle mile provider, NBC uh, Mid Atlantic Broadband Communications, and they mm-hmm. are also hooked into something called LUNESCO, which stands for the counties in Southwest Virginia that built it. I think it's mm-hmm. Lee, Wise, and Henry County, perhaps, Luanesco. And then um, we have one of our uh, very successful service providers, um, Bristol, Virginia Utilities, BVU, right. who, who's the last mile provider. So fortunately, those guys are all hooked together, and then uh, NBC has long haul that connects it into um, the big Equinix machines in Ashburn and on to the world. Um, and they also go south to Atlanta, so they have connectivity there. Um, you know, and, and one would hope that that was sort of the model that was going on uh, throughout there, that the Middle Mile Project should have been um, fashioned in, in the, to connect communities um, where we're also deploying uh, broadband to, you know, fiber to the home last mile connectivity. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what we'll do if we find sort of those islands Interesting. Will, I haven't looked at a map to see if that happened. Mm-hmm. So I, I think then kind of taking this discussion to the next step, um, 
in addition to trying to prevent, you know, like islands of silos of technology and so forth, there's also the issue too is that um, you reach certain you you reach a certain point, and you find that it makes no economic sense to run a wire somewhere. You know, you've got the far reaches of the of the county, the rural area, the the hills area, whatever that we're dealing with here. Um, should it be the mission of the the fiber industry literally to go everywhere or or is there a point when someone says, you know, maybe this doesn't make sense, maybe we call in a wisp or maybe we call in several, you know, wireless I to create extensions to the network rather than trying to take it literally to every premise. I'm not, not, ooh, something just happened. I'm not convinced uh, that we know the economics, um, that we we know the economics closely enough to to make that determination. Um, You're sort of relegating the person at the end of the end of that line to a less than desirable um, throughput, and maybe less than they need. Mm -hmm. So you know, and I'm not sure that the economics aren't changing enough that you know. To put in the 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 radios and the cell towers and everything else you'd need to get to that far off location, you couldn't string fiber. So, um, you know, I think the jury's out on that. So you're kind of taking a wait and well, that's much a wait and see. It sounds like we're doing several things in parallel. I mean, we're we're building, we're doing you know what we can, what we've got, but also keeping an eye on the fact that every year uh, costs go down. They do. Uh, they cost go costs down. go up. Um, I was down um, talking to an institution, and uh, I was actually speaking with an institution in Virginia that um, does have a lot of um, wireless broadband wireless, um, and 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 their analysis was it's much cheaper for us to to pull fiber. So you know I, that's what I'm saying. I don't I'm not sure that those um, perceptions are reality. Right. And and Michael when he was on, you know, also talked about that. You know, he he put it he put the big picture out there of you know, there's the upfront cost, yes, but then you have the long term, you know, the the fact that if I build a one gig network today, I don't have to rebuild the network to get a hundred gig at some point in the future. I just, you know, replace certain com- uh electronic components along the route of the network or of mm-hmm. the infrastructure and that's the cost. I mean there will be money, but it won't be like like I said you're reinventing the wheel every couple of years, which is what kind of scares the, the You know we, we call it making the making the consumer's network future proof. Right. And uh and if you factor that in, then then the economics look a, a whole lot different as a result of of that. Correct. I think I think unfortunately and I and that's why I'm I'm very excited about what's going on in the marketplace. I think we sort of went through this period and we're just still in the middle of it because of the feeding frenzy, you know, created by the big incumbents. Mm-hmm. Um that that wireless was everything in the be all end all. Well, you know, it's my wireline, well, I fortunately live in a fiber-to-the-home house, so um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know exactly all the wonderful benefits of, of having fiber-to-the-home. Um, my wireless doesn't work so well in the house. I mean, I had to get an extender, and it still drops. And, you know, is, and is that the kind of – is that what you want to promise somebody who is hoping to – you know, stay current on their educational requirements, who may be running a business from their house. I mean, it just isn't, It you know, it's not where it needs to be. And whereas if you can get fiber to the home, they're set for probably for their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Could it be sometimes that wireless is a good stepping stone? In other words, um you know, you, you've got a community. It's on the ropes. It's trying to keep its people there. It's trying to um, help people, you know, improve their professional skills and it's still, their education. If they're going to make the investment, why shouldn't they find a way to make the investment in the technology that's going to be there for them and grow? Right. Uh, 
I'm not, I'm just, you know, I'm putting it out there kind of as, as a devil's advocate thing. Yeah. But, no, I know. know. And that um, I think, unfortunately, that sort of um, uh, view, um, not or those are the arguments that have sort of taken our eye off the ball on mm-hmm. on fiber deployment. Because I think it's, I think that some of the people who make that argument the most vigorously are the ones who um, are in political situations where it's very difficult to muster the political will that's needed. Because especially when you talk about uh, municipal networks and public-private partnerships, there has to be a certain amount of political will power to make you know, to, to, to go through all the challenges that will come with this. It, it's true. You have to have some sort of leadership. Isn't that true for every area of the government? Just about. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, there has to be somebody that's willing to really lead the process. Um, you know, be it, it could be a county manager or, you know, a, a community leader. or. And you're right. That does take some sort of um, political will, but that's going to be true if you decide to spend a fortune doing wireless investment as well. So, I mean, I, I just, it's, to me, it's, you need to take a longer view of the investment and think about what will actually serve your uh, constituents, you know, be the be the end user customer or your business users mm-hmm. um, in, over the longer haul. Okay. And with what so that, they need to grow. Right. I mean, I, I I don't argue with the uh, the argument for growth because clearly I've made that argument a bunch of times. Uh, you know, I also at the same time listen to a lot of people who talk about, um, you know, they can get X <clears throat> out of the budget. They can get X through uh, a city council or a county commission, the body or whatever the board happens to be called. And, you know, X times whatever it will take to build the fiber part becomes problematic. And there, there's a point. There, there, there's a point. I think there's a um, as the price of um, fiber comes down, and as the capability of wireless, particularly fixed wireless, goes up, I think you will run into more people. Uh, one, both adopting the fiber side of the, you know the, the fiber solution, but I think you may also find people willing to do the the hybrid network because another pro, another draw of wireless is that is that ability to be connected while um being mobile i mean i think that's the large reason why a couple of the cable companies at least for a stretch were building uh wireless networks and offering the service as part of their package so it's basically you have cable in the home you have cable in the business you know but while you're out and about um, you know, we will also let you have, or, you know, give you access to wireless. Oh, I, yes. With, I mean, who doesn't? There's nobody that in our industry that survives without a smartphone today. So, I mean, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that for what you, your needs in your home, and especially in terms of content delivery, and um, I. Don't I will use an old-fashioned term, computational, uh, meaning <laughs> meaning not like in the old days when you're talking about you know doing big science projects, but right, right, right. Uh, in terms of interaction with a greater world, you that you need what you need fiber. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I'm running around in my car. Let's hope I'm not watching video at the same time. <laughs> You're not even supposed to be texting at the same time. Very true, very true. Which is a small bandwidth issue. Right, right. Um, so I have a question. I want to shift a little bit to the operational side of the business. Uh, I was looking at... Um, and And here you may have me flat-footed, so... Well, because my under, my background is not <laughs> technical. That's fine. No, but I noticed in the last uh, conference that there were <clears throat> there was a whole track devoted to marketing, and I've also noticed mm-hmm. that there have been in different cities once a quarter, I believe, um, a session on marketing. Yes. It seems like the council has fully embraced the fact that. Marketing is kind of important. Now, I have a bias being a marketing guy from way back in the day, but 
you know, I sort of feel like marketing is a crucial element. If you don't market effectively, you have no subscribers, you have no partners, you basically have no business. Correct. But technology companies historically have been slow to grasp that, you know, great engineers, great engineered product, you know, our marketing, eh, we'll hire a salesperson, you know. So is is my assumption correct that you guys have definitely pinpointed marketing as a key uh, discipline that your members need to have yes. and understand? yes. Good. I thought you were going to ask me about some kind of different um, deployment of some equipment or something. But oh, no, no, marketing <laughs> um, marketing is definitely definitely important because how do you create? You know, just like we're creating a value proposition for our members, mm-hmm. service providers need to create the value proposition for their customers. I mean, it's 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 by selling them and all the wonderful things that are going to come as a result of having fiber to the home that you get adoption, correct? And mm-hmm. and your revenues uh, become stabilized and, um, um, you know, so I, th- I think it's very important. I'm I'm with you on that. I don't think it, the day of, you know, we, we're we not the cable companies of the past if, there, if we have cable companies, but, you know, we sort of take it or leave it. We want people to feel... Um, you know, excited about the product and to feel that um, we're offering them a value add. So you're right. That's so a good basically, <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's that's all I was going to say. Nope, no, I and uh, you know, and that makes a lot of um, like I said, I have a bias, so obviously I'm gonna I'm gonna fall that way. But you know, it, it amuses me sometimes how you know we get hung up in certain words. And broadband adoption is just one of those. You know, everyone's talking about we got to have broadband adoption. We gave $300 million uh, to, to entities to drive broadband adoption. You know, and after when, you know, after you kind of listen to this for about six, eight months, you know, I think some people stop and go, well, that's just marketing. Yes. And then all of a sudden well, it makes sense. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about some grand new wizard technology we're talking about the basic fundamentals that have driven business since, you know, the beginning of time. It is. It's explaining to consumers who both have fiber to the home how they can use it more effectively and why it's worth their using uh, more expansively. Um, but it's also explaining to the new customer or the potential new customer why they need it. Right. And that's when you get these issues of, you know, well, we have this segment of the population and they don't, Understand well, maybe because you haven't explained it right. <laughs> you know, I, cause it's, it's difficult to explain. I mean, this stuff is. Somebody not was easy. telling me that ninety-five percent of all jobs uh, applications must be done online. That you yep. don't even have access right. access to the. And, and I, you know, from past experience, I know that's true. And and you companies require that because it's the only way they can effectively track for regulation purposes. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you know, if you have, if you're struggling to try to get a, the population employed, and you have segments that don't even have access uh, to broadband, how are they going to know or apply for jobs? Right, and I think that in those con- explain in those contexts, um, the, the issue makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, I, and again, there's, but I think also understanding the discipline of marketing. And understanding that marketing isn't just the sales part, or it's not just the marketing communication part; it's the partnership development. You know, developing partners for marketing. That was a that was a presentation I gave in Missouri. You know, which is all about, you know, your partners. Uh, how, how how you choose those will have you know all the world and and, and all about uh, a difference on how effectively you can market. Because if you market with a local credit union as a partner or you market with the local uh medical community as partners they help drive the message uh to their various audiences so that the project team you know whether it's a community a public private partnership they don't have to do all of that you know not to mention the fact that those people who own those customer relationships are in a better position to tell those customers why they need to use your network right and and your and Things like you have to have access, uh, you know, broadband access to interact with your um, schoolwork or, you know, teachers or you get to take extra courses um, that aren't offered in your locale. I mean, those, again, are other areas um, that need to be played up as, as being important. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna go for broke here and ask another operations related question, which is um how from your perspective should both communities and private sector companies go about developing and making public private partnerships work? Mm. You know, I think every community has a different it first of all, every community has different service provider structure, correct? So um, obviously uh, we have many service providers that are anxious to invest in their communities and um, I think are looking to reach out to their communities and work with their communities to to bring fiber to the home there. Um, they have good they already have good relationships and um, you know with very little assistance from the community just you know, some prompt, little prompting, they're going to continue to build those networks that um, are future-proof for them. I mean, and then you have other areas that, um, you know, maybe the service provider hasn't quite gotten the message yet. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's when you have to, we talked about this earlier, leadership in the community, um, where a community expresses their desire to move into the future-proof neighbor, community, future-proof network of the of the future, you know, get that deployed, and they may have to go out and do an RFP and, and, and bring in um, private providers um, to bid for that um, with the proper, as we talked earlier about the buy-down and investment and, and potential operating expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, that might you know, provide the um, incumbent service provider um, what it needs to invest as well. So I think... Um, you know, you you hope that your service provider, and I know many of our service providers have taken the lead in those deployments. But if they don't, the community may have to do a little um, um, incentive uh, incentive work. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, one of the things that I uh, have been kicking around, and something you might want to throw out next week, see if it uh, flies or not. But I was talking to. Um, the uh, the person who heads the the equivalent of the League of Cities for mm-hmm. the state of Missouri, and I said, you know, one thing that you guys might want to consider is rounding up, <clears throat> I don't know, ten, fifteen communities in a in a region or a county or whatever, and create a, a an incentive package for why businesses want to do a Google. Basically, you know, we are this community, we have these assets, these benefits, these resources. We think your company should come to our area and partner with us to build a network. Now, it's thoroughly, I guess, off the wall when you think about it initially, but, I mean, the idea was that 1,100 communities came up with some pretty creative ways to market themselves and why someone should come and build a network there. Wouldn't it make sense for some of those same communities to go out to other businesses or other industries and say, look, where, why you should partner with us for that? You win, we win, we win this, whatever, whatever. What do you think? I think if the com- the problem it's a chicken and the egg problem. Sometimes those communities don't have the the resources to do the marketing. That's mm-hmm. one. Nor nor do they have the resources. In in other words, the fiber coming into their community will bring the resources, as opposed to them um, having the resources today to attract. The company. I mean, it's almost like they need to work with um, with with companies first, saying, "Will you come here if we have this?" Right. And there's you know a certain amount of that as well. And it might even have been. Uh, it's Michael good to that- work. Yeah, I would say working with your economic development councils. There's um, um, they're usually county based um, throughout the states, mm-hmm. um, and also every state should have. Um, statewide economic development board or council, um, they may be able to help co- individual communities do this kind of um, partnership building and right. coalition building. But they may do, help you do it in the context of bringing, um, you know, capturing a certain um, employer to come to a mm-hmm. given area. Right. Um, and again, I think you know it's, it's thinking outside of the box for the purposes of finding a new path to the same end goal. You know, everyone says, "Okay, well, we didn't get Google money." Well, great, but there's a whole bunch of other places that have money for whom the case can be made. 
That's you know, correct. And maybe the League of Municipalities <laughs> or some sort of city league is that body because they've got all the community connections, but they're also tasked with, you know, helping to market those cities to the outside world. And and that's why I was talking about, I mean, that's true for cities, for urban areas, but for, I was talking about, you know, less, that's why the Economic Development Council. Oh, right, 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 on, on the rural side of things. Right. Excellent. Well, you know, our time is just about up, and I want to thank you for, um, even though you're still getting your feet wet, spending time to come on the show and talk about, you know, a lot of these important issues. And uh, I wish you, again, best of luck, um, you know, heading up the council and in your session next week. Hope lots of great ideas come from that. And uh, we get a chance to talk again uh, sometime in the future. Oh, I would really look forward to that, Craig. I thank you. Your questions have really um, made me think about the coming year. Um, as I said, I'm very excited about uh, the opportunities um, for the council to um, continue to shine and grow even in, grow even bigger. Um, so I would be happy and, and thrilled to come back and talk to you after we finish our strategy session um, and get our five our next uh, strategic plan put in place. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, and thank our audience and everybody. Have a great day, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.